Loved, cherished, comforted. Welcome to the podcast ministry of Our Resolute Hope, where you will find grace, not just a concept or a doctrine of grace, but a person, a person whose name is Jesus, a person who brings hope, a determined, resolute hope that can sustain you and empower you to live courageously in this fallen world. Join us now as we learn more about Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, and our life. Beloved, thanks for joining us today on this episode of the Our Resolute Hope podcast. Once again, my name is John Russett. I'm here with Pastor Frank Friedman, who's way over there in South Louisiana. How are you doing, my friend? We're doing very well, John. One hand in God's and God's both hands around us. So oh, that's the that's way, a to good go. way to do it. <laughs> yeah. Well, friends, if this is the first time you've joined us, you've caught us in the middle of a rather lengthy conversation Frank and I have had now for a number of months on the topic of suffering. And the last few times we began talking about Job. And Frank, last time, as we're talking about Job, we saw that he was a righteous man, a very prosperous man, one who worshiped the Lord. And then we saw something really that kind of startled me when I first noticed it, that his godly life invited his suffering. Mm. He was such a godly man that he came into the enemy's crosshairs. And so it just kind of struck me. Second Timothy 3 tells us that all we got to do is want to live godly to become a target for persecution. So this is a really sobering reality, my friend, that as we're God's kids and we just have to step out to express him in any way, and we suddenly are in the enemy's crosshairs. And as we're going to see with Job today, he can come at us with a vengeance, can't he? Oh, he's the destroyer. He's the accuser. He's the enemy of God and therefore the enemy of you and me because we're children of the light and he is darkness and darkness hates the light and darkness seeks to overcome the light of course the great wonder john is the light can never be extinguished wonderful that's right well friends we are going to start talking today from the second half of job chapter one Looking at the calamities, and I guess that's a kind word, disasters, gut-wrenching catastrophes that Brother Job experienced. We'll see in just a few minutes that he lost all of his flocks, his businesses, his servants, and 10 of his children. But wow. Frank, before we dive into that, I want to bring out a point that sort of struck me as I was reading through this that Job had absolutely no warning that any of this was happening. Mm -hmm. He didn't know about the conversation between Satan and the Lord. He was broadsided out of nowhere. And you know, I was thinking about if you've got a cancer diagnosis or you're going to have surgery, if you've got a crisis coming up in your life and you know it's coming, we always want to prepare cook meals, make arrangements, kind of steal ourselves as best we can, lining up everything we need in advance to help us get through. But my friend, mm. Job didn't have any of this. So I've used the words catastrophe and devastating, but crippling, 
might be mm. a better word. I can't imagine how Job must have felt as he experienced this 60 seconds of disaster. What are your thoughts on that? Oh, John, you just hit the nail on the head. Blindsided is probably the best word. It was interesting. I was in the city yesterday and I was at an office and this lady came in and she asked me, she said, are you Pastor Frank? And so she had known us, about us anyway. And she just began to share her story. And she was very typical modern lady, competent, secure, educated, everything going well, dreams being fulfilled, married the man of her dreams. After a couple of years of sharing life together, received the good news, a conception had taken place, baby number one on the way, and everything was just the way it was supposed to be, John. And then on the day of birth, the little baby was struggling, and they ran the tests, and the baby had half a heart. Oh. And she shared with me that for two years. She said, I was just in a constant state of numb. I didn't know really how to cope. Nobody had ever prepared me for anything like this. I didn't even know what to think, how to pray. And she did go on to say that I held to my belief, my faith, and then she went on to share. She said, the one thing I will say is God carried me. Otherwise, I would never have made it through. There are so many things in life, John, that we just can't prepare for. And they have a way of devastating our souls. That's right. And it's encouraging that Father took one book in his scripture to explain to us what can go on behind the scenes. Mm. Yeah, without the book of Job, Frank, we would be in the same dark room that Job was in. But because he did what he did in Job's life and had it written down so we can read it and we can see mm. what really goes on, you know, what warfare really looks like in a spiritual mm. level, it doesn't make the tragedies any easier to take because mm -hmm. they are devastating. But knowing that our father has got all of this under control and he's parting a hedge and allowing it, it is a comfort, my friend. It mm -hmm. truly is. Well, it's some semblance of understanding. We may not understand all the whys and hows and whats. But we are given a glimpse in Job into that, what Paul calls the unseen world. And there we can see that we have an enemy. He's bent on destruction. He is against God and all that is of God. And God has him under restraint. In the book of Job there, John, we see him roaming the earth he owns the world. It was actually owned by Adam, 
in terms of a surrogate ownership. God owns it. But he gave Adam control and authority. But then Adam gave that authority and control to the enemy. And God honored that choice of Adam. And so the enemy is roaming the world, doing what he does, wreaking destruction. But he does present himself before God. And God is still on his throne. And that's, I think, what we see unfold in the book of Job, John. I've gone through a lot. You've gone through a lot. It's probably one of the greatest comforts that I've had is to say he's on his throne. And it's not original with us in the book of Revelation, seven churches, they're all being persecuted. John gets his vision caught up to heaven. First words out of his mouth, behold, a throne. And John, I love that because it says we're not out of control here. There is purpose, there is design, and God is working to bring about good. Well, let's take a few moments, Frank, and visit briefly Job's nightmare. We look in verse 15, the Sabaeans came, took 500 yoke of oxen, that's a thousand, 500 donkeys, kill all the servants. I tell you, man, when God parts the hedge, sometimes Satan comes in like gangbusters. Mm. And then before he could, uh, the servant came and tell him the story, before he could finish the story, uh, another guy shows up. Hey, a fire from God fell from heaven and burned up 7,000 sheep and all the servants. So before we go on to the next guy who shows up in just a few seconds, I want to take a moment, Frank, and talk about the words from this second servant. He said, a fire from God fell from heaven. Now, I know he assumed that it was from God because it fell, so it came from above, but he spoke a word that had he said it to me, it probably would have really jarred me because mm. he assumed that the fire came from God. Mm. And so I saw this as really a caution for all of us when we are facing people who are in the midst of suffering, even if they're very close to us, we might not have very clear insight into what's happening or why it's happening in their lives. Mm. And so there's a caution here, Frank. Mm -hmm. uh, we'll see this with Job's wife. We see this with his three friends. We get together next time. We need to be careful what we mm -hmm. say when people are suffering. And don't mm -hmm. just assume, well, this is because of, mm -hmm. and try to interpret what's happened. We need to just simply point them to Jesus, because we don't have an answer. We're just there to comfort, console, and pray with them and point them to the only one who has an answer and the only one who can really comfort. So I saw that, Frank, as really a caution for all of us as we walk through life and we face people who are suffering, and we all do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think it'd be a good idea, John, to point out even though we don't dogmatically know, but some of the reason, maybe the basis behind which people do those kinds of things. And the two that popped in my mind as I was listening to you is one, we're all born under the lie that we shall be as God. 
And so we're all learning as believers to stop functioning as God. (laughs) We grew up under that life being strong, being right, being in control. And when we come to faith and we realize that there's only one God and it's not us, even so, yet we can still function like we are God and speak authoritatively into other people's lives where we've got no business speaking authoritatively. We need to stop that. When people ask me, why did this happen? Which happens a lot as a pastor. My favorite answer is become, I don't know, because I don't. (laughs) I do remind them after many, many hours with them, and only as God leads, where I built enough of a bridge of love and compassion that God does have purpose and they are going to find God in a way they never knew him. But that's not something you immediately spring to as soon as somebody tells you they just got a word that their child is going to die or something like that. The other thing that popped in my brain, John, was the false gospel, a false message from scripture that when you put your faith in God, everything's going to fall together like a puzzle and everything's going to be great for the rest of your life. And people who have that mistaken belief system are very prone to point out when something happens in somebody's life, well, it must be your fault. You must have sinned. And, you know, John, we are living in a world we weren't designed to live in. And I really think that a lot of what happens to us has nothing to do with sin. It's simply that things are messed up here. This world is under a curse and bad things happen. And we've got to quit trying to blame people and their sinfulness for these things that happen in a fallen world. I mean, people who walk with God lose their children. People who walk with God get cancer. It's a part of living in a fallen world. Yeah. And I don't know how many times, Frank, I have heard, I could call them cavalier comments, mm-hmm. but actually they're crusty and callous and and hurtful. Things like, oh, well, count it all joy. James Bond, <sighs> count it all joy. <laughs> mm-hmm. Or or the ever popular Romans 8, 28, all mm-hmm. things work together for good. You got to smile. And so when I hear that, my blood just kind of curdles mm. when I hear that because it's just so cold and callous and dismissive. Mm. It's like, Very. I don't want your pain to influence my life. So I'm going to quote a scripture, use it like a club and beat you and your problem away from me because mm. I just, I don't want to deal with it. Mm. And Sadly, my friend, I've seen that, and I know you have as well, in the church far too often. Yeah, very, very insensitive. I think God would have us come alongside people, love them, and say nothing rather than saying something that's harsh and critical like that and and calling them to not feel pain, which I think is really what they're doing. You shouldn't be feeling that way. I remember when a person asked me once how we were doing and I thought she wanted to know. So I told her (laughs) (laughs) and she said, well, that's not of God, you know, but it's human and we have emotions. They're God given and they alert us to the fact when things aren't right in our little world. Yeah. 
Well, let's jump back and uh, let's finish Job's horrible circumstances. The next servant shows up. The Chaldeans came, took 3,000 camels, killed all the servants. And then, Frank, this is the end. This is the last one. A great wind blew down the house and all of the children were killed. Mm-hmm. Oh, two things run through my mind. First, the devastation of losing all 10 children at once. Mm-hmm. And the second would be that my servant said a fire came from heaven. A wind came from heaven and blew my house down. God has me in his crosshairs. And so mm-hmm. I am absolute toast from now on. Just the grief and the suffering is, frankly, my friend, I can't even imagine uh, what he mm-hmm. must have felt like. Wow. Yeah. We have no capacity to understand that. And then uh, we keep on reading, and I'd love to turn the page, and ta-da, God shows up and explains, there, there, now, Job, I got this. There's no problem. This is what's happening. This is why it's happening. This is how it's going to turn out. No worries. There's going to be a silver lining here, Job. Just trust me. But you know, Frank, God is silent. (laughs) I mean, he is absolutely silent in the midst of Job's suffering. And Mm. I have a hard time with that, my friend. I really do. Mm. John, that's probably the hardest thing of all, is the silence of heaven. It's like if God could just say something to bring encouragement. But it's interesting. There is a verse in 2 Corinthians 4 where Paul said, quoting the psalmist, when death was coming to his door, he said, I believed Therefore, I believe. And I think what he was saying is that I had my faith in God over these years, and he's proven himself faithful. So even though I don't understand, even though heaven is silent, I will continue to believe. And, you know, John, I've uh, I've kind of coined a phrase from that. And what it is, is connect the dots. When we get blindsided, devastated, it can really crush our faith. But if we look back over our lives and connect the dots of God's faithfulness through the years, it provides a context. It provides a basis. It provides evidence, confirmation that God's going to show up here too, even if I don't yet hear him. Connect the dots from the past. Yeah, uh, he's been trustworthy in the past. I have no reason to believe he will not be trustworthy in the future. But I tell you, my friend, it might be a pretty bumpy road for a while. Mm, No doubt. (laughs) No doubt, no doubt. Well, let's look at how Job responds And of course, we're looking only at the first series of attacks. Uh, There's another series that Satan opens up against Job's person in Job chapter 2. But I want to look at the reactions that Job had to both these attacks. In the first one, chapter 1, verse 20, he got up, he tore his robe, he shaved his head. In other words, Frank, he fully embraced his suffering. Mm -hmm. 
he fully expressed his grief. He didn't blame. He didn't deny. He didn't finger point. He didn't say it's not my fault. At this point, he just embraced his suffering. And then get this, my friend. He fell on the ground and he worshiped. Mm. I cannot imagine. Yes, I know on paper it is possible to worship through tears and to worship in catastrophe. But my friend, this is an order of magnitude beyond what I think anybody I know uh, has ever experienced. But he stepped up, man, and he praised his father and worshiped even though he was in the dark and didn't have a clue. Uh, this is our pattern, Frank. This is what faith looks like in the trenches of life, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, John, I think the thing that just just jumps out at me is his honesty and his vulnerability. He is not ashamed to be human. And, you know, there's so many people, John, you meet them, they're going through a tough time. And you say, how you doing? Oh, doing great. We as human beings tend to, and we drew this concept out in the book, Finding God in the Gray, but we tend to minimize our pain. If we can explain it, if we can justify it, if we can avoid it by anesthetizing that means, you know, we not just drugs and alcohol, but, you know, being a workaholic, a recreationaholic, just don't think about it, explain it away, then it won't hurt as much. And that's the goal of much of humanity is to keep it from hurting that much. But here's one of the things I've told people over the years, John, I, I really believe this, and I think it's huge. If I allow myself to hurt at a level four on a scale of 10, God is going to give me the sufficient grace at level four. But what if I took him at his word, dared to believe, did like Job, embrace the pain at a level eight or nine, I'm going to get level eight or nine grace because that's what God has promised. When we get people who say it will hurt too much to do that, they're actually believing a lie because God has promised it will never hurt too much for the provision of his own life. Now, we got a caution. It feels like it's going to hurt too much. It feels like we could never make it through that kind of pain. But the truth is, nothing on this planet can ever hurt too much. And boy, John, I would never say that to Job. <laughs> but I can say it gleaning from Job. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yes, uh, indeed. And, you know, Job, uh, I'm sure, struggled. Scripture is silent as to how he communicated with God, how he certainly must have pleaded and cried out. But it's interesting, my friend. We saw how he responded there in the end of chapter one. In chapter two, when we roll out persecution 2.0, 
and Satan attacks Job from head to toe with boils. Job says this, shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? Mm. And all this Job did not sin with all of his lips. Frank, I look at Job and in my mind, he is the living example of what Romans 12, 12 looks like in a person. And that says, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, and be constant in prayer. You know, mm. you know, the Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I, I tell you, man, I'm not sure how I would have responded had I faced what Job did, but I'm not sure those words would have come, <laughs> come out of my mouth, at least no, not initially. Not initially. I I think we get there, John, but the, that's the thing that's so amazing about Job. He got there so quickly. And I just marvel at people like that. I want to be like that, but I'm not there yet. I'm still in this school of learning to live by faith. I think I'm in kindergarten now. <laughs> well, you're a year ahead of me, so I don't know which year comes before <laughs> kindergarten. But I look at Job's reaction. And then he says later on in Job 13, though he slay me, Yet will I trust him. I mean, you talk about gritting your teeth and hanging on to your faith in God by your fingertips. Your mm. feet are dangling with nothing beneath you. He's just hanging on. I look at how he was able to do that. And you've pointed out some of these things before, how we minimize or try to ignore our pain. Job didn't do that. Mm. He perceived his suffering correctly it was bad <laughs> mm. he didn't say oh it's not that bad you just need to look at it differently job you know my problem is just how i'm viewing these things no it was bad and job mm -hmm. said it was bad it was evil but then he not only perceived it correctly he saw it for what it was but he received it i know that's kind of past or uh, alliteration there perceive and received i knew you'd like that <laughs> but he embraced it he saw it for what it was, and he saw that it was his. Hmm. And he embraced it the best he could at that time. And my friend, as we're wrapping this up, I see that it's easy for Job, and I'm sure he did, praise and worship God on the mountaintops with 10 kids and all that wealth and all those servants. But we see the same praise out of Job's mouth in the trenches of life. And my friend, that's what Christ's life will do in us if we will consent. Say, yes, sir, I do not understand, but I know you've got this. And so I'm gritting my teeth and I'm trusting you. Mm. That's a tough lesson. Wrap us up, my friend. Well, John, I guess, you know, the thing that I would say as I'm just listening to you, I think there's an escape clause built into all of us where we say, well, that was Job, but I could never do that. And the interesting thing is that Job's not alone. There's a guy named Habakkuk who says, though there's no fig tree on the vine and no cattle in the stall, and basically Israel's going to be devastated, yet will I trust in him and rejoice, praise. We find it with Asaph. We find it with 
David when he was being hunted by Saul. And the thing is, John, God wants to put that kind of incredible trust in him, in all of us. It may not be the current status in which we walk, but it is the agenda uh, to get us there. That having trusted him in little, we'll be able to trust him in much and the world will stand at attention as they watch us and ask, how do you do that? And then we can tell them, we have a God who gives us his own life so that we can stand in the adversity that comes against us. Wow. Wow. Well, friends, you've been listening to the Our Resolute Hope podcast. We invite you to check out our website, OurResoluteHope.com. You'll find lots of resources there, all centered on the incredible truth of Jesus Christ as our very life, even in the midst of a whirlwind of disastrous circumstances. He is sufficient in us, for us, and through us. Check out all of our social media platforms. You'll find us on Facebook, on Instagram. Uh, we've got our own YouTube channel now. And as we wrap this up, I'm going to change the way we end today, Frank. I want to encourage our listeners to do a couple of things. First, to pray for us. Frank and I covered your prayers. There's just the two of us, really. And so we kind of shepherd each other, but we really covered your prayers to pray for us, to pray for discernment and wisdom beyond our years. Pray that we'll hear the Holy Spirit's voice clearly and deliver the message of Christ's life in a way that's clear and comforting to all who need it. Second, if Father lays it upon your heart, we invite you to financially support the ministry. You can go to our website, again, OurResoluteHope.com, click on the donate button, and you can find an opportunity there to provide some financial support. And of course, now that Pastor Frank is retired, he is now free to travel. So one last point, we invite you to send us an email. You'll find that at the Contact Us part of our webpage. Let us know you have an interest and uh, we'll reach back to you and see if there's a way that our resolute hope can minister to your group, your organization. And once again, uh, we remind you that we have this hope as an anchor for our souls. Uh, it's a resolute hope. So today and always, choose hope and choose Jesus. Thanks for listening. We trust that you've seen Jesus today. And you know that no matter what you're facing, he offers you himself, his own life. He wants to live his life with you, in you, and through you as you trust him and walk by faith in this troubled world. You've been listening to Our Resolute Hope Podcast. For more information, find us online at OurResoluteHope.com and check out our social media channels under the name Our Resolute Hope.